Welcome to E2 Talks. It's a podcast where we chat about the English language landscape. In this podcast, Jay chats with Alex Asher from LearnCube about digital English language learning. They talk about how schools responded to the rapid shift to online language learning during COVID-19 and how schools might best position themselves to ride out the storm and even grow their business beyond their classroom walls. If you're a teacher or school administrator who wants to hear the ins and outs of good quality digital English language delivery, then this podcast is for you. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Jay. I'm one of the expert teachers here at E2 Language. And today I am talking to Alex from LearnCube. How's it going, Alex? Yeah, great, Jay. How's it going too? It's going well. Things are well. Things are cold here in Melbourne. You're over in the UK, is that right? Yeah, I'd almost say balmy London, or at least it has been um, over the recent weeks, which is very unusual for a Kiwi over here in London, but loving it. It's good. Yeah, nice. Alex, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about uh, where you work and what you do? Sure. So my name's Alex Asher. I'm the CEO of LearnCube, and we specialize in a virtual classroom made for language teaching with an online school that wraps around that, uh, providing everything that someone might need for teaching online. Okay, and that's become particularly relevant recently with coronavirus and COVID. Can you, yeah, it sure has. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your experiences, um, maybe pre-coronavirus, um, in, in maybe in a sales role, like approaching schools, and then during coronavirus, and, and, and how that changed, and, and perceptions of online teaching, uh, language teaching, and then we can... Uh, also chat also about what will happen post-coronavirus as well, which I think will be interesting. Makes sense. So one of the things that was really interesting before COVID-19 is we had actually uh, spent a lot, of, a lot of time talking with physical language schools um, about you know, whether they'd be interested in providing, you know, we call it future-proofing or providing resilience for their business and complementing what they were doing in person with an online um, an online language course, whether that's before somebody would turn up to the school during the actual time that they're with that school and then even potentially after they leave the physical premises of that school. Um, from our side of things, it, it made a lot of sense because you then sort of were able to triple the lifetime value of that, that student. You didn't, didn't ever have to say goodbye. Um, interestingly enough, before COVID, that it felt that a lot of physical schools were not willing to pay too much attention to that. I think yeah. there was always interest. And I think it became certainly clear that people were more and more curious about it even before February. But there was little action because there was so much entrenched with the physical language school and trying to make that work that it left little energy over to kind of explore alternative ways of either teaching or even building the business. Yeah. yeah. When COVID hit, it's changed a lot of that because there was no longer, a, I've got the luxury of time to think about this. And it really forced a decision within. Uh, and, and it was interesting because it, you could see people go, Oh, I'm interested because lockdown may happen and it was clear that lockdown was happening already in Italy it was clear that it was already happening in other countries but there's still a perception like and this is England you know we can all see what 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 COVID's done to to the UK but there was still a perception that don't worry we'll get we'll get through we'll get 
it'll pass us by or maybe it won't be so bad. And then it was. And then, then it was a freak out and it was sort of jumped to whatever tool comes closest first. Mm. And interestingly now, I think people are in a situation of now going, wow, okay, this did happen. I've changed some of my, uh, bus- well, I've had to put my business online and it's not really working for me mm. uh, or not what I thought it would do. Uh, and people in a real, yeah, they're in a, in a bit of a pickle because they never had much time to think about it. And now they've got a lot of time to think about it, but also maybe less resources and they're still feeling very on the fence about what to do next. Wow. Well, it's been such an interesting period. You know, it's just absolutely upended an industry that is just bricks and mortar, face-to-face, paper-based has been the mainstay forever. And all of us, within a period, I remember we've got, um, I remember talking to a school after the lockdown had been announced, it was going to happen within 10 days. So basically this, this, these schools and this particular school had 10 days to get their act together to go online. We're going to go online. And it was like, I remember having this meeting with them because we've been online for the last, you know, five years, hundred percent online for five years. And I was trying to offer them advice and, 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 and also to say you should use our platform, et cetera. And they just had this stunned look on their face. Like they just didn't know what was going to happen. And then they didn't know what was going to happen. And, and they decided to go at themselves, go online themselves you know, with, with free tools and screen sharing of, of documents off the desktop and, you know, which, which I, I won't talk about what I think of that. Um, wow. Okay. And, and so what do you think are the, the perils of using free tools and, and, and screen sharing off, off, off the desktop? How, how do you see this shaping up for schools? I think there's a there's a mismatching of understanding. So for schools, they're like, oh, this is this was a completely we've been side swap, we've been sideswiped here. Mm. So our students will understand that we just need to do with what we need to do um, right now to solve their problems. And so freeware for their existing customers, the customers, the students that were already paying them, that had already been locked in into a, a, a contract, um, naturally they were going to take whatever was given to them. And to be fair, full, no problem at all with freeware during just a pure panic point of view. Um, because, you know, you're just trying to get through it. But this is like, actually, I'm not going to even go into like a political analogy I was about to make. <laughs> but you've got to use this time, right? The, the time that you've got using this freeware is not just, oh, well, that's our solution and let's make that better. For me, it's like use the freeware to buy yourself enough breathing space yeah, and right. properly think about your strategy moving forward. So that's what I kind of, that's how I sort of see freeware. It's like great as a stopgap, but it's not going to provide the value that a student is expecting. And I think the real shift is this. As soon as our schools have finished off this current round of students, freeware is just completely insufficient uh, to be able to bring new students online and for them to feel like they're getting great value for money. 
So the perceived value is so different with using freeware. Um, regardless of even if you thought that the experience could be done as well as using, say, a paid software like either of our, our products, Jay, but the perceived value is just lower and that means it's really hard to get the price points you want that, yeah. makes, that you need to make it viable. And so uh. there's just a bunch of things that don't work until you're using a tool that gives a perception of professionalism and that the experience is properly thought out. Really, really well said. I, I agree. I, did, I didn't really think about that. But yes, you're right. The students who are existing said, cool, we'll deal with this. We understand. New students coming in will just say, no, I'm not into that at all. One of the interesting things that I noticed was complete brand dissolution. You would have a school in the, you know, the CBD of Melbourne that's been there for 20 years and it's got a great reputation, great branding, a great building, you know, great address, location. Um, and all of a sudden it just didn't exist anymore because using the free freeware materials, the, the, it, it, there's no logos, there's no white labeling available. It's just, they're just floating out there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's quite helpful to think of in terms of what people are already familiar with, right? Like, so if you had this incredible, let's say, let's just use an example of Harvard, right? Everything's all Harvard. The brand is Harvard. You know, everything is amazing. When you go into the campus, you feel like you're in Harvard. Everything's beautiful. All the lawns are done. And then the next day they say, hey, look, you can also join Harvard um, uh, in Invercargill in the bottom of New Zealand. Um, but when you get there, it's just going to look like an ordinary building and we'll put, a, uh, we might not even put a logo on. We'll just, but we'll just tell you on the front, it will say Harvard, but we're not going to use any of our branding. Yeah. And then you go in there and there's no one there to meet you. But don't worry, just go and find a room. Uh, or actually there's kind of a door. If you see it, it'll be open. You just go in there and that's the room that you're going to be in. Um, the teacher, don't, don't worry about him. You'll he'll put up his hand you might not recognize him because he won't be you won't be looking different to the students but don't worry that's actually the teacher he'll put his hands up and he'll say that hey look guys i'm i'm going to be the teacher there won't be any books um don't worry about that though because he's going to talk to you and you're just going to talk for the eight hours that you're there um, but don't worry you're going to have a great experience you won't be able to tell anyone because there's no one there to meet you and you won't have any way of contacting them but we'll leave a form there for you like we'll leave a little survey and you can put your name and kind of what any problems that you have put it in there and one of our staff you won't know who they are but they may turn up and respond to you uh sometime we're not too sure but it's going to be great and um <laughs> now the cost is the same it, yeah. it's we are going to be wanting you to pay ten thousand dollars up front um but don't worry you're just going to pay through paypal um which is not a problem i mean i know that you're familiar with paypal but also um yeah, you're, you're just going to know that you're going to get, it's going to be great value. You're going to love it. You know, would you, would you buy that? I mean, it's. No, no, no. Um, it, it's, it's an incredible situation. Um, I, you and I would, would both agree that schools have done a tremendous job in dealing with the situation because it's been radical. I think one of the most yeah. interesting things about this situation is you could take an incredibly talented, experienced classroom teacher you know, who, who just knows this stuff back to front, you know, they've, they can walk into a class and without a lesson plan and, and teach, teach something radical. And all of a sudden you put them on a, on a computer where they have to uh, screen share and use documents. I mean, that technological barrier can really impede a teacher, a good teacher from actually delivering a good class. You know, I, I yeah. think that, I think a lot of teachers probably felt that way. 
perhaps some of the younger students would have, younger teachers rather would have um, fared better with the, just being more familiar with tech. Um, I don't think it's an age thing, but um, probably probably something there. Um, anyway, that's a, that's another in interesting aspect. All right, so Alex, do you think these issues that schools have faced with this rapid transition to online, do you think they're solvable? Do you think there's something there that's uh, not just salvageable, do you think they can actually produce a high quality online offering? Yeah, 100%. I mean, all of what I was mentioning before, all of those have solutions. It's just that they have to be thought in the same way, just as um, any physical school would spend a lot of time thinking about what's the experience we'd want to have in our school? Where would we put the branding? How would we introduce people into classes? How mm. would we segment the experience so that it was varied and interesting and rich? How would we use content to make that a rich and fun experience? And all of these things can be done online, but they require some thought um, and possibly some tools and some investment. Um, just like a Harvard would invest, you know, they would argue you know, millions of dollars into a physical campus, you would expect at least some kind of investment online to be able to deliver a similar or equivalent value experience online. Exactly. And I, I don't think either of us expect a language school to actually develop their own technology. I think that is out of the question. Um, we're, we're, E2 Language is practically a software development company. And we've spent years, as you have, developing and a lot of money developing our platforms. Yeah. And there's, you know, schools don't have the time, the resources to do that sort of stuff. But, you know, plucking one of these off the shelf, paying a subscription fee, a relatively minor subscription fee to give your school back that brand, I think is just a necessity. And I think yeah. students will demand it, you know, and, and they'll vote with their feet, I really do think. There was a recent survey from um, out of Ireland with the English language schools there and the recent online uh, satisfaction rates for students were 13% saying that, I don't know what the original was, the face-to-face, -face, but 13% isn't good. That's really not good. So, you know, and- I, I, I mean, I think what, so, so I think there's some aspects about schools that they need to be kind of, you know, they've got to know where they're going to put their, their time. Now, their main assets are in their teachers. Mm -hmm. So ideally, they want to put most of their work in their teachers and improving whatever that experience is. Then the second part is, you know, the, the marketing and, and, and the branding and, and all the stuff that, around, that wraps around that classroom. And that's where, you know, tools like ours that can provide that out of the box level the playing field. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. the investment is. You're just leveling the playing field just as... If you were to buy, like, uh, I mean, we would Babel, but like Babel would, you know, spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on constantly experimenting, constantly mm. changing things on their app. And that's just their app side of things. Um, it wouldn't make sense that they, they spend the same amount um, trying to develop something that's outside of their core competency. Um, so, and, and that way, I think with, with language schools, spend all of your time kind of really thinking about the strategy, spend a time on teacher training, spend all your time building a great experience and thinking all the way through the bits of that experience, but then just use the tools that'll kind of fill in uh, a professional kind of gap, depending on what that might be. Interesting. I'm going to just spend a little bit of time here harping on about why LMSs, traditional LMSs 
are not appropriate for language learning as well. Um, sure. These are the sort of the big industrial enterprise versions that universities typically use. Um, and, you know, they, a few critical issues with them are that the authoring tools, let's face it, are not very good. They don't produce, you know, certainly they were never produced or purpose built for language learning. A lot of multiple choice type quizzes, et cetera, but really lacking in those, um, you know, there's um, some of the stuff that's in our platform is, is, is basically reverse engineered from PTE or IELTS, et cetera, you know, good classic uh, language learning activities for the authoring tool. Um, also, I find LMSs to be clunky, user experiences clunky. Um, they function really well as student management systems and document management systems, but the emphasis really isn't on the teaching and learning, I don't think. I've spoken yeah. to instructional designers that would certainly say the same thing, back me up on that. Um, and the other key critical aspect here is, um, well, they're expensive and they require, um, you know, IT professionals to integrate them. Um, a critical thing though, is they don't have payment gateway systems built into them. So, um, you know, they're very centralized. So they still do require the students to be coming to you. Um, whereas you can't really send out courses out into the world with a, you know, with a PayPal built into it or, voucher codes, et cetera. So anyway, that's my, my gripe with LMSs. So I would certainly recommend if, if schools are thinking, hmm, I'm gonna go, to, go and get a canvas, I would really not recommend it. It's not agile, it's not built for the size of school, it's not purpose built. Anyway, that's my, that's my gripes. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that or you wanna stay out of that. <laughs> no, I, th I think one thing I would like to add around a online school experience is it's not like a physical school in a way. Mm. Um, and part of that is because you need a lot of students to be able to fill group classes. Mm. So when you think about an LMS, uh, an LMS is typically made for either a general education, like let's, let's, let's just call it a, a high school or let's say a university. Either way, you've got all of these people coming in and then they're manually kind of put into these different areas and you've got enough people to kind of fill out those classes and it sort of works out. Now, what uh, a major problem for a physical school going online is you may not actually have that same volume of students. Uh, again, you've got a bit of a pickle because if you don't have a high enough perceived value in the courses, people aren't buying. And also you're not, most schools have been relying on agents to provide those students. And unless you have a whole bunch of students that are all of the same level, uh, all have the same goals, then you're kind of just throwing them, particularly if you are using an LMS, you're just throwing them at a one size fits all, which again has, I think, its own dangers Definitely. because we're all very different. Uh, we all have very different motivations. So if, if a course is created in a certain way that isn't aligned with my goals, I immediately feel that I'm not going towards my goal. For sure. Uh, teaching and live teaching can bring me back and make me feel like I'm on my own path and I'm going the, the path that makes most sense to me. But this is where LMSs and I feel online courses can feel quite, uh, yeah, quite, quite sticky in the fact that they kind of keep you on certain tracks and don't allow you to kind of follow your own path in that way. I don't know if you have any views on, on that, Jay, but certainly. 
Yeah, I, I mean, we've thought long and hard about um, about how to make online courses engaging, and this is a major issue just with online language learning in general. I think I think what's critical is students need two things: they need self-study access and courseware that they can, you know, do in their own time, and um, they can follow their own interests. Um, they can study at their own level. Um, you know, if they have first language issues, they can go into the pronunciation course and study these particular phonemes or this bit of grammar because, you know, my first language is Korean or whatever. Um, I think that's a critical aspect, but I, I still do think that that live teaching aspect is so uh, essential to make sure that they're actually doing the course because they'll just lose, lose motivation. It's so rare um, that somebody will actually self-study a course. Our experience has been that um, we've had these sort of outliers and we're like, wow, this guy has done like 99%. This is in the early days before we did um, actually live teaching, live online teaching. We're like, wow, who's this guy who's done 90% of this grammar course? And it turns out he is like a rocket scientist from, from <laughs> you know, some country or a brain surgeon. It was these, these, you'd look them up on LinkedIn and it's like, oh, right, I see why. You know, so, yeah, I think those, the, the live class, live classes really make it much more inclusive, much more engaging. And, um, and they might not be group classes. You can also teach the one-on-one -on -one tutorials, which are critical if you do really need to get in there or the student requires, you know, personalized tuition. Um, we've conducted, I think tens of thousands of one-on-one -on -one tutorials, um, in addition to our live classes, which, um, you know, which can be done at scale. When you, when you do have the numbers, they can be really exciting because um, we just did an IELTS one that had 350 students, for example. Um, yeah, so you can scale them up too, which is, which is cool. It's probably worth sort of pivoting here and talking about um, what makes good online teaching. Um, you know, one of the things that I was concerned with um, just screen sharing documents is what were those documents? You know, um, were they PDFs? Um, were they Microsoft Word docs? I think content's critical here. Uh, do you have any opinions or thoughts on uh, on what the content should look like and how it should function? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're... First, firstly, I think textbooks don't translate always that well online uh, uh, because they they have been like honed over what literally decades um, to work in a physical in a physical school setting right that was that was their purpose so with that everything has sort of been aligned with that environment whereas the online environment if you if you use the same materials a you can find that they're the wrong format so for example even just a computer screen is landscape view yeah. whereas most textbooks are portrait view so yeah. alone even if you just try to you know and we've seen people try and scan books it doesn't look very good yeah. in a in an online setting yeah. um, and it doesn't use the the real estate that we actually have in a screen and real estate is key um i i just jump in there because books of you know publishing is expensive and so what publishers try to do is put as much content onto a single page as possible as well you'll notice that language textbooks are busy they're incredibly busy. Whereas when you're dealing with bits, not paper, you've got all the room in the world. And it, I think cognitively for language learners, it's a wonderful thing to have a hell of a lot of white space and a single focus Absolutely. of instruction there, the salient point on the screen. 
and not distract them with this cool picture and this bit of color and you know yeah that that's a that's an interesting i we've worked with a a few publishers and um you know getting them to sort of stop trying to cram things onto a screen is interesting you know that's the and and get rid of stop it doesn't have to be beautiful it can be very um you know black and white almost yeah, yeah. and it can be much yeah, more i mean we, we know this is a really good good point jay um with all the content that we've had done uh, for ourselves white space is a critical component and it's <laughs> it's like if you don't allow the white space, where are you going to be putting the notes? Where are you going to be putting the explanations? How are you going to enrich this experience? Mm. Um, I mean, we see that as a really critical component that you actually have a, a space for that white space, but also it means that uh, I, I mean, if you're using a free tool, you might need to screen share, but without tool, you actually are writing on the whiteboard itself and that's saved on a page basis. Mm-hmm. So you need that space. Um, yep. And most publishing, as you say, it's, there's not a there's not a bit of white space. It's it's another color color block followed by another color block. Um, so I find that it's certainly a, a big difference. As you speak, I sort of think of two categories for content to be shared in a live class, which is one is as you're talking about, which is um, things that you can adapt and write on and make notes and draw arrows to and stuff like that. Um, what we do, we do a lot of our uh, content development for live classes actually in Microsoft PowerPoint form. So they're pre-packaged. So student teacher will go in at 7.59 PM, download the PPT, pop it up and away, away she goes, you know, um, and just clicking next, next, next. And one of the things that we've um, gotten really good at is instructional design in that sense. um, And using timers, because there are things that are lost in an online setting that you have in the classroom, in the classroom as a teacher, you set an activity and you don't worry about a timer because the timer is the, the smartest person in the class who usually answers first, his head will, or her head will pop up, right? And you go, okay, now I've got to give the others about 30 seconds and I've got to give yeah. rest one minute and then, okay, everybody, let's move on to the next thing. That's lost in many ways in a group class, especially if they have their cameras off. So one of the things that we've found really effective is to is to time activities go, okay, how long will it take to do this matching exercise? Two minutes, boom, pop a timer in and people work. And it, it, it creates a, it creates a, an atmosphere where people know what's going on and know what's next. And that creates, it stops people from being uh, nervous. It makes them calm. They know what's coming. That's really helpful. We found, but yeah, instructional design is, is bloody interesting. Yeah, I think that was a really great point, though, Jay, as well, is most teachers are not taught uh, to deal with time, right? Because it's, as you say, that the class kind of helped it set its own pace. Whereas online, it's incredibly important to tell people what's coming next. Yeah. Um, And that, of course, requires a level of planning. Uh, Now, to have enough planning, you have to have some kind of protocol and system. And so, again, operations then becomes quite an important component. So there's a whole lot of new sort of skills and capabilities that schools are having to add on top of already what's quite a stressful environment. But and I think this is one area that we could, of course, spend a lot of time on, but it's like mapping out that student experience. It takes a long time, um, but, it's, but it's essential in terms of delivering a coherent experience. If you haven't thought about what that experience looks like over the entire journey, then it just feels like you're being thrown in every which direction. It doesn't give you a sense of progress. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They 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 need. Uh, you know, I, one thing I, who I've really felt for during this period of being the teachers. You know, at the col- at the chalk face. Yeah. I can't imagine how much lesson planning they've been doing recently, like let alone grappling with tools and just, I, you know, I remember the first um, classes I taught about five or six years ago on Skype when we first decided to um, transition or pivot E2 into live teaching. And sure. um, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I, you know, and putting things together and, and throwing them up online, etc. But yeah, there's a lot to learn from, organizations like ours where we've actually been doing this for for a long time and i think you know i go as far as saying that our live classes are i i we're finding it hard to innovate or get better you know we've really hit a sort of limit um with with instructional design and innovation um tell tell me about that jay what makes a so i've got more experience um at least observing with sort of one-to-one and smaller group classes which typically again before covid that was very much the predominant um way of teaching whereas with physical schools moving on transitioning online they've kind of taken the the group model with them or at least the larger group model in my view um so what has made how have you made group teaching interesting because that requires some thought and some some planning and even the right content and the right context and the right tools just tell me about what that looks like to you what's what's great group teaching yeah good question so um first of all you need to coordinate people and teachers Okay, so you need a scheduling mechanism. And especially if you're having uh, students in in different countries and and the teachers in this country, et cetera. So a good scheduling system, which will actually bring people to the right place at the right time is essential. Um, Content, which I've talked about, you know, of course it has to be pre-prepared. You can't get a teacher in there on the fly, especially, you know, we've had classes of up to 700 students. this is done through a sort of webinar style of one to many where they can't actually interact. And a lot of teachers are going to roll their eyes and say, well, if there's no interactivity, then there's no language learning, but you can actually make, as I mentioned before, you can make the slides very interactive. Um, You know, a lot of quizzes built in timers with the quizzes um, answer explanations, all of this built into the slides. So for the teacher, um, really what happens and how you make it good is if the content's really solid uh, and the teacher knows what's going on, the teacher can concentrate on presentation and delivery because this is, it becomes more, less like a, like a, a, a less teaching, I would say, and more presentation skills. The soft skills become really critical. You have to maintain a, a really good tempo, a certain amount of energy um, because really you're, you're I know what it's like sitting in a webinar and it's, you know, within 30 seconds, you're thinking, how the hell am I going to last in here for 40 minutes? I'm sure we've all been in those webinars. This has to be different. This has to be that little introduction I gave at the start where I say, hello, everyone. My name is Jay. That's how I start. I have a set, you know, rhyme that I do at the beginning, which kicks me off into a mode of presentation and teaching. And, And we get, not just me, all of the teachers here, we get great feedback from students who uh, enjoy, they attend and they enjoy these live classes and, and uh, elements of language like writing and speaking, you can still uh, add in those interactive elements. You know, 
you, they don't re- get feedback, but they will be writing. What we've done cleverly though, is we've linked our live classes to feedback. So they write an essay, they can then go and submit it through the platform for feedback. Or we certainly encourage them for speaking to take a one-on-one or a small group class to improve their speaking skills. But for listening and reading it's and grammar, it's, um, works really well. Yeah, still. Uh, I think that's a great idea as well. In fact, that you're kind of, and I think when you talk live classes, you're talking at almost a webinar level. What yeah. about in the, in the range which a lot of skills are, which is between, yeah. uh, say, six and say 12 or 14, which is what they were probably doing in a physical location. Have you got any ideas of how to make those classes great? Because most schools won't have webinar style or that's not the thing that they're selling. They're selling this, I would call it medium to large group, to be honest, but still tell me about that experience. Yeah. So we've just recently gotten into this actually for test prep. Um, so we're conducting small group classes for PT. We've got a maximum of five students. So the class, okay. uh, again, it, there's a technological issue that needs to be solved, which is you might have one student from pa- in Pakistan, one in Australia, one in who knows where, and you've got to try and get these three people on at the same time. So we've got this little booking system where they, they can do that. Uh, the teacher rocks up. Um, again, content is, is critical. Really content is critical here because we've yeah. created the, the presentation material, the slides in such a way, again, they're interactive, but this time you'll be singling out students and saying, okay, your turn, let's do this read aloud. And, and you can, then you can offer the direct uh, feedback to the student, corrective feedback, which is, which is great. But similar thing, um, technology is critical, content's critical and delivery is critical. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you can't really miss any of those, but um I think it's a real mistake to think that content uh, and structure and planning doesn't matter. Like oh, yeah. teachers without any kind of guidance are really, it's not even, it's not even that they're bad teachers or anything. It's just, they have not been given the ingredients to succeed um, without having clear, clear idea on what the content is, making sure that content is going to be fit for purpose. And if you are teaching a group, it needs to be made for an online experience where yeah. you can really get people to interact. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, otherwise, I think you're missing the boat. It's much easier to uh, to teach off the cuff spontaneously in a classroom face-to-face. I used to do this method. Yeah. We used to have this joke at one of the schools I worked at called the six-step method. It's like, do you use the six-step method? And they say, oh, what's that? And that's where you decide what you're going to teach six steps before the classroom door, right? <laughs> and I, honestly, I've taught some unbelievably good classes when I am standing in front of the class thinking, uh-oh, what am I going to teach? And all of a sudden this bolt of lightning comes or you start doing something with this group and then it evolves and, it, you know, magic can happen in the classroom. I tell you what, that magic is much harder to get going in an online setting because it it lacks energy. It lacks, you need to give it energy through the content. Yeah, what, if, what if everyone just sits there when you go, Oh, this is going to be great. Tell us <laughs> about your weekend. And then they're just like, that's right. That's right. You nothing. really need to generate that energy differently through the, through, I really think through the, the content is, is absolutely critical there. Yeah. So, yeah, but also, the, yeah, I, I think one of the other things that's sort of overlooked there is, Again, those when teachers feel confident about the content that they're using, they have a, a confidence in what they're going to be teaching. 
then they can go into that oh. class confident and it, and it shows and, and, and the student's going to feel it. Oh. But if you give this teacher nothing and then they go in, even if they're like, oh, this is going to be great, it's just going to fall on its face. And then oh, the teachers, right. the next class is going to be like, oh, this is just the worst. I'm just pulling teeth here. This oh, I, I can't. You know, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of those classes just to sort of see like, it's a bit sadistic, but um, really, I, I, you know, I can't imagine. But conversely, when you do have good content, it's great. I, for, for us doing test prep, one of the most um, nerve-wracking experiences, because these tests are hard, man, like some of the questions, PT academic, are, you know, if you haven't done your preparation, you haven't, what you have to do really, this is the other key, is you go in, you learn the questions before class, um, so you know the answers before the other students do make sure you know the answers before the other students do because if you are put on the spot like when you're teaching one of these webinar classes with 400 students and you're trying to figure out if it's a and b while they're waiting for you and your mind shuts down <laughs> i've had a few experiences like that where i'm like right that's it i will always go in knowing why it's b and why it's not a and why it's not c and d and be able to do that really confidently but oh yeah it's a bit of a you know, English teaching's hard. It's, it's hard. The other thing with English teaching is that it's, it's, it's a mul it's multiple subjects, really. Pronunciation is a subject unto itself. Grammar is an incredibly complicated subject unto itself. Listening, what the hell is listening? You know, to be a good English teacher is, it's, it's really tough. And then to be thrown into this technology world within 10 days, it's, um, yeah. So what do you think is going to happen, Alex, in the, in, in the future? Do you think, how do you think schools are going to respond to COVID? Do you think they're just going to go back to same old, same old? Do you think they're going to adapt and take on a platform or what are your thoughts or hopes? Uh, I'll tell you what I don't think is likely is that I don't think a lot, like I don't think the schools that are doing physical classes will just completely scrap that and move everything online. Yeah. So there's no way that I think physical schools feel that they can or even necessarily want to substitute everything out and, and go completely online. Yeah. However, this is going to be a trialing situation where they're going to have to at least be able to do that, even if they don't want to. They're going to have to have that capability as a resilience yes. or kind of a future proofing point of view, because there's a survival aspect. You, 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 I don't think hibernation is going to work here. You need to stay present. You need to keep momentum in your school. Like um, otherwise you're starting from scratch again, like, cause even your brand will start to degrade your, uh, if, even if you relied on agents, for example, beforehand, if you're not offering anything in the next year because you're kind of waiting this thing out uh, and it might not be a year, it might be 18 months, then again, you've got nothing to go back to. All of the good work that you've built is gone. So I think there has to be an acknowledgement that this is something that schools are going to figure out. Um, I'm fairly confident that this will work out really well for the schools that are able to stick with it and find some yeah. ways that, it can work for them. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think you can get around the fact that you're going to have to want to do this yeah. Um, yeah. because students will smell a teacher that doesn't want to be there. And if the teacher doesn't want to be there, sure as hell the student doesn't want to be there. Yeah. So I don't think you can 
get around the fact that the online offering has to be good during this time and whether or not you continue with it is completely your call. But um, this is, yeah, this is a reckoning in a little bit. But I think there's going to be huge, and I think there's going to be huge creativity, um, much more so than I think even before COVID. So we work with a lot of online schools because um, that's our business. But the schools were starting to look a lot like each other because it was all about streamlining operations, how do we scale, and that kind of makes things more and more the same way. Mm. And I feel physical schools may be more like the boutique online schools mm. of today. And those that uh, embrace that boutiqueness, embrace that personalization, I think there's huge role, huge mm. opportunities um, to make that work. Now, it's not going to be, it's not going to be as big. It's not going to be the thousands and thousands of, of students necessarily, but there's definitely an opportunity to get through this. Um, keeping your brand, creating an incredible service, and that service is going to be valuable well beyond COVID-19. And I think it's going to be an essential part of that offering because it allows the transition for students to come join a physical location for a time, enjoy all the richness that comes with being in a physical school. And then when they leave, they can still continue their journey online. I still think that's hundred percent the way forward is a transition um, and an easy sort of smooth transition between a physical location and going online. Oh yeah, totally. I think schools need, you're right. I, I absolutely think in the very least a contingency plan to be able to s switch to online as soon as they need, because who knows if there's going to yeah. be a second wave of this coronavirus, who knows if there's going to be a trade war or who knows what's going to happen. So, you know, and I think but also the these are, these are trends that have been happening for a long time. This yeah. is an acceleration, not a new thing. This is not like, Oh wow. I never thought that we'd go online. It's like, we've been waiting this for, for years. This is just an accelerator. Yeah. So now that we know that it's an accelerator and this is going to continue, then it's really a, a decision. Okay, now we know that the world looks like this. What are we going to do? I think students will also start to demand some sort of online aspect of their face-to-face -face course as well because, yeah. you know, it's it just makes sense that in addition to your classroom activities, and I've studied languages overseas before and it's a beautiful experience, it's a wonderful experience, but my language yeah. learning would have improved a lot quicker had I have had a sort of online platform where teachers would have said, right, Jay, you need to go home and do this, this, and this. And I'd say, all right, cool. See you tomorrow. Um, yeah, that aspect's interesting. You know, I wonder about schools that have had a terrible experience of, of late. Um, it, it, I, I, I can't wait to see survey data on how they felt about this online experience. I'm sure a lot of people hated it. I'm sure some of them loved it. Um, it's been probably mixed reports. But I wonder how that will influence their decision going forward about, you know, whether they will actually want to do this. One of the things I was just thinking was because we're well organized and we've done this for a long time, our teachers like teaching at E2 language, despite it being fully online, you know, yeah. sure. They, they miss that sort of face-to-face -face interaction at times, but um, you can get a, a lot of delight from teaching, you know, online and they do. Um, you know, we've had today, we just had t two stories. One was um, a couple of like 11, 12 year old girls were joined into a, one of our general English classes with, with her mum. Another one sent through a video um, saying about how great it is. You know, there's wonderful things that can happen. Um, so I, I really hope the that point though, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really the point is that this isn't, 
This is not a chore. This is not something that's been done to you. Yeah. This is a great, I mean, online teaching and if online learning well. has been If it's done well. If it's done if it's well. well like I was, I'm doing a French, I'm learning French online using a LearnCube virtual classroom and we actually offer teachers as a service. Um, but we're using one of the, uh, these teachers and I'm loving the experience, but I would never go to a physical, like I'd have to go across town and it would just be a pain for me to go to an actual French class. Right. Uh, but to do one-on-one lessons in particular, it's a, I think it's an absolute delight. And it, it, it's enabled us to do something together that we would have otherwise never have done because, you know, getting timetables correct, you know, it's just so, yeah, there's, there's usually when you're in a physical location, the, the timetables are so much more structured and set. Yeah. And I'm, I think the flexibility that online offers is phenomenal. I think one of the other things that might happen as a result of this is obviously some schools have closed, which is sad, very sad. What might happen as a result of uh, this is some schools who do adopt online language learning and do it well, I think they'll actually dominate the market because what they'll have is a marketing tool, um, a lead generator that other schools simply don't have. And when that education yeah. agent saying, well, you can go to this school here, you know, let's say I'm in Columbia, you can go to this school here in, in February, or you can actually go to this school here and start learning English now for free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the student going to do? He's just going to go, bang, I want to start learning now. Yeah, I mean, I'm nervous about, I mean, agents have been a phenomenally impactful force um, for a long time in the, in, the language, in the language industry, certainly over the last decade. Uh, regardless of what agents believe their role is, students are now used to and are going to be looking for um, going direct with a school and mm. schools are absolutely realize that they cannot be a hundred percent focused on agents. Agents again, have a complete role, but just yeah. as in any business, you generally have to have, there shouldn't be one point of like of weakness in a way, right? Like if all of your eggs are in with agents, then for example, right now, if agents can't send you business, you're, you're without a, you're without anything. Yeah. So I think it absolutely requires schools to invest at least in their ability to directly um, advertise to and attract and, and convert leads. And part of that is with the online component because it's much easier to convert somebody online uh, into an online course. And then once you've built trust as well, you can then also use, those, um, use that either to continue online or to bring that person into your physical school. So I think, again, a smooth transition between that physical location and selling that with all its benefits and then the online experience and selling that with all those benefits is a, is a key, uh, almost an essential aspect of running a, a physical school, I would say, in the future. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I hear you. I think what the industry needs right now are people like you and me um, who are enthusiastic and um, believe in this and actually can offer some leadership as well because, you know, I, 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 think, I think in Australia at least there is, there is a, 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 a lack of leadership in this area. People aren't, there are some universities, I can certainly think of a couple of universities with people who have really done it well and the specific people. Um, but overall, I think the number of people who really get online language learning is, is very limited. Yeah. I think they, yeah. I think, I think they just need a push, but I do think 
and I think you'll resonate with this, I think they need to they need to partner. They need to partner with an existing company like ours or like yours because sure. doing it alone or using an LMS or or not doing it are just going to be detrimental. Yeah. yeah, not doing it is not an option. Like not doing it is is assuming that we're going to go back to the old world. I don't think there's anyone that is going like, ah, oh, okay, so we're going back to exactly the way things were. It's just, not that's not going to happen. So then it's simply just acknowledging, hey, look, um, just because I'm not good at doing this now, doesn't mean I'm not, you know, I can't get better. Yeah. Um, sure. And part of getting better is just simply going, hey, these are the things I'm really good at. These are the things that I'm not. Okay, who am I going to need to partner with to fill those gaps? Yeah. And again, that's where I hope that you and I can help with this, Jay. Um, yeah. Fill in the gaps that people are, are missing, whether it's experience or understanding how to sell, market, or even deliver a really great experience. Yeah. And from there, you know, I, I think there's a really positive outlook beyond this, but we've got to get through this crisis. Cool. So how can people get in contact with you, Alex? Sure. Uh, you can contact us. Uh, certainly, certainly check out our website, www.learncube, uh, L-E-A-R-N-C-U-B-E.com, just in case my Kiwi accent uh, <laughs> makes it hard for people to understand. And uh, otherwise, please contact us at info at learncube.com. Cool. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks again, Jay. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to E2 Talks. Remember to check out e2language.com for PTE, IELTS, OET, and TOEFL courses. And if you need help with general English language learning, check out e2school.com. Thanks.